welcome to Malkia Talks, a Wheel of Time theory podcast. I am Rob, your host, and today, after a almost four-month break, we are back to recording with Null, all about his Wheel of Time uh, experience on Eye of the World. How are you doing, Null? I am alive. That's a good start. It's it's a good place also, to start. Also reasonably well for being good. alive. <laughs> I was hoping there'd be more than that. I was like, wow, four months and that's how you start, mate. <laughs> I think if you listen back to previous episodes, it's very similar. Uh, yes, you do. Yeah, you you like your deadpan uh, answers like that. Normally I'd be like, say hello, Null, and you go, hello, Null. Uh, in fact, you did do that when I did the sound check. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a good start. Uh, but, yeah. Welcome back, mate. It's been a long time. Uh, you had a good Christmas. Busy, no doubt. It was super exciting. I'm so glad it's over. <laughs> we're always so glad. <laughs> Working in hospitality, we're always so glad Christmas is over. It's wonderful for everyone else but us. Um, but uh, you didn't work Christmas Day and neither did I. So uh, that's a change of pace for yeah, both of us. Yeah. yeah, I did. I, I didn't tell you this uh, previously, so I'll tell you now. Christmas Day, one of the reasons I didn't work was because I planned to not be working uh got a rotisserie system for the smoker that i've got oh nice um got the turkey uh was uh, a farm raised actually raised by my housemates family um cool literally brought to us the day before straight from the farm um all gonna go great i had to get up at six o'clock in the morning to prep it and get it on the rotisserie to slow cook mm-hmm. and smoke. Um, and it took about 12 and a half hours to cook. Wow. Because the bloody rotisserie didn't work. Oh, <laughs> oh mate. That is not fun. It was not. It was it basically at about eight o'clock at night. Hopefully it was worth the wait. No, because everything oh. else was all buggered. It was a complete and utter shambles. <laughs> <laughs> well, practice for next year, mate. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, at, at least at least you the day off. <laughs> I'm not no, sure no, you... No. I'm, in, a, in a way, I feel a small part of you is like, I wish I'd just gone to work. Why? Hundred percent. There was about twenty points in that day where I was like, "It'd have been easier at work." <laughs> uh, I I can sort of uh, I wouldn't say laugh about it now that some time's passed because I'm still grimacing, but I don't feel quite the anger that I felt on that day anymore. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you you can always laugh about it afterwards. It's in advance of you. I was like, yeah, I'm not sure I can laugh about this right now. So, <laughs> well, it's good to be recording with you, mate. Uh, I do have a couple of announcements before we get going. Um, yeah. So, folks, if you're not aware, MalkiriCon is in action. Uh, we launched. Oh, yeah. In, in, from time of recording, we launched basically last week. Um, you can come join us in Manchester in the UK, September 10th to the 11th, uh, the Holiday Inn. Uh, the, you can find all the details that we currently have available 
on the Malkir Talks website. Ooh, I got a website too now, folks. Um, so just go to MalkirTalks.com. That will be in the show notes uh, if you can't type as fast as I just said it. And there's a section for Malkiricon in there uh, with the FAQs and uh, the GoFundMe for uh, the support if you want to become a founder. Uh, thank you to everyone who's already done that, uh, raising an amazing uh, over £2,000 already, which means we are definitely going to be able to have the convention without any concerns about, you know, have we sold enough tickets and things like that. You know, we're, we're, we're in a comfortable position now where, you know, we can have a great convention and uh, one that will be doable years for years to come so i'm very excited about that um and yeah just just check out the website because it's got the stuff on there as well it's got on my youtube stuff it's got the podcast stuff on there you can get water holiday on there MalkiriCon. like there's lots of fun stuff on there so um yeah you can go check that out the other so that was kind of like two announcements in one hope you enjoyed that folks there's a two for one the other one is i've had a few patrons join me in the last i want to say month and a bit and no, more like two months now. And because the podcast episodes have been so sporadic and I've, um, you know, when we've got round to recording, I'm like, I just need to get recording because I've to, I need to get this done. Like episode eight only, review only came out last week. Um, I keep forgetting every time and I'm terrible for this and I do apologize. I keep forgetting to do the, the patron shout out. So I've got four to do, which is amazing. So first up, we have uh, Matt Stagger and Jessica Sedai. They've joined uh, the family at the Borderlander level. So welcome to both of you. Thank you so much. Uh, you can get all your early access to what I'm up to and Null's notes at that level. And then... I'm please... sorry for you. <laughs> they're great notes. Yeah, because I, I summarize them now because Null is a detailed note taker, but they're great. They're funny as well. You add, you add like sub notes to your notes as well, which is even really like you do, you do like some notes and then put in brackets and make it red or per, parentheses. And then you'll add like an extra note to it. And it's brilliant. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, please welcome also Beth Weston and Bain and Shead, uh, because I'm not sure if I've done a shout out for those two. So I was like, I better do a shout out to be safe. Uh, and they are new Seven Towers Guardians, uh, which gives you early access to the podcast, uh-huh. um, as well as just, you know, all the other previous things. And you get to hang out with the rest of the Patreon family. So if you want to join folks, just patreon.com slash talks. Go grab yourself some goodies and uh, come join us in all the secret discord server channels and ha 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 all that sort of fun stuff i don't know why i did an evil laugh there probably because it's secret channels <laughs> I'm evil. yeah yeah definitely uh, i do call myself a dark friend uh, so you know uh when we get to the appropriate level of discussion for that i will then upgrade what i call myself uh but those of you in the know who have read the books and have heard me describe myself in that manner before you'll know what i mean so, uh, where do we leave off? No, it was chapter 24. Uh, you're a bit further ahead than this. So, some of this, you'll be like, why did I think that? <laughs> when did this happen? Yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, we've had this before. You're like, I'm six chapters further along. We should record. Oh, yeah. And you're like, wait, this chapter we're beginning with, I read two months ago. I'm not sure what I did, was thinking. So, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, so we've just ended previously um, the whole bit with Perrin and Egwene meeting Elias and the pack. Uh, so now we flipped over to Rand, Matt, and Tom going down the... What was the name of that river? Uh, you know, uh, Aranel. 
that's that's pretty much it, mate. You find. I mean, say it however you want, in all honesty. But uh, I just enjoyed the bit at the beginning where you said it like, three different ways. It was fun. Um, <laughs> it could be Aramel Holler. It could be indeed. This is very true. So yeah, everyone likes to change the thing, change the pronunciations. Uh, but we start off with Rand. He's having a bit of a nightmare. Um, and you're curious about whether this is a repeat dream or if he's been the same one feels like forever, basically. Uh, so so I'm re- also reading my notes to work out what dream this is. Yeah, I'm having trouble remembering this dream too, in all honesty. So this is uh, like right. he's running around uh, a maze, in, isn't it? Yeah, in the book, he's uh, it starts off with him in a corridor, a long corridor. It's dark. And as he progresses down, I feel like there was doors along the side. Yeah. Uh, that, are, that he can't open. Or I might be wrong. It might just have been a really long corridor that never seems to end. Uh, but it does become a maze eventually, doesn't it? Yeah. A very dangerous maze from the look of it. And skulls and all sorts of craziness in it. And then he comes in, bumps into but Alzamon. Uh, and he's like, light help me and all that sort of stuff. And Bowsman goes, the light will not help you, boy, and the eye of the world will not serve you. You are my hound, and you will not, and you will course at my command, and I will strangle you with the corpse of the great serpent. Um, which is quite a statement. And we get this. <laughs> yeah. Like, just, that would freak me out. If so, just that sentence in general. Like, even if I knew what some of that meant, that sounds very ominous. You know, just to be told you will course at someone's command is its quite a phrase. Yeah, it, it just feels it feels very reminiscent of the earlier sort of interactions he's had mm-hmm. where there's sort of a, a a claim to to rant, isn't there? Like he's earlier on, it's sort of like trying to entice him and say, right, you, you know, give up trying to run away, you are mine. And now he said, you are definitely mine. Yeah. Like, it's it's cementing that idea that he's got some sort of power over him. Yeah, you put in there, it's like Balsamon gaining more control. Um, do you mean specifically yeah. of the dream or of Rand? Well, it, it just felt like... I don't think the two are separate. I think he's gaining more control over his influence of him. So the dream is, a re- to me anyway, the dream is a, a result of, you know, Rand's mind. Mm-hmm. And Beelzebub is twisting it into what he wants it to be. Yeah. Um, he's just, he's able to control things a lot more and interact in a more aggressive manner. Is the, um, these are from some freaky dreams. Um, I don't think I've ever had nightmares quite like this, to be honest. You know what it reminds me of? Um, you know, there's that famous painting of the stairs that just seem to sort of fold around on each other. Oh, yes. That's what it reminds me of. These oh. ramps that kind of just twist and like they don't really make sense. Yeah, there's a there's a term for that maze, and I can't think what it's called. Um but yeah, it's 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 a maze of someone's design, and uh, that fits that fits very well here. Uh, I had never considered that. Nice. And weirdly, I remember that thought from back then. That's, 
that's impressive because yeah. <laughs> that's not in the notes so <laughs> okay well rand does wake up um you know he doesn't sit there and dream forever but he does get a little remnant of the dream because there is you know he, he puts his finger in his mouth and he tastes blood and there's a little piece from the fawn um so you've put that this is very similar to the rats dying all around the inn so like something yeah. from the dream seems to be making its way into reality yeah i i wonder why it's it's that though the first time round it's a you know it was only one rat in the first dream wasn't it mhm and then a lot of rats around them were dead yeah why is it why was that so many and then this time it's just the the pierced finger yeah cuz it's not like anyone else woke up with you know bloody fingers or a piece of thorn stuck in yeah. there or anything like that so every person on the boat suddenly has a, a pinprick on their finger yeah that would uh, that'd get the gossips going that's for sure maybe that's why you know dead rats everywhere can be kind of ignored by people in general but everyone waking up with a you know a, a prick in their finger from a um from a thorn that's something quite different mm. possibly we'll have to see how the dreams progress if they progress if we get more dreams <laughs> <laughs> but we move on from you know rand's horrible nightmares um and we just go up and we we see Doman and his crew just going hell for leather down the uh, the RNL. Um just trying to get away from all the horrible Trolloc situation that they got their passengers from, I suppose. Um although Tom is trying to make them feel better about things. Uh, Ryan does notice that uh, there's a lot of grumbling. Um, you know, the the sailors are all a bit you know, just pissed off of everything. And Tom is spending a lot of his time trying to keep them in good spirits. Um, mm. So, but they they are blaming it more at Gelb than the newbies, really, which is good. Um, but Gelb is becoming it's not a very nice man. Um, what have you put here? Uh, Matt. Oh, although Matt's also not becoming very good either. Matt is becoming. Uh, you've put when Matt mentioned Gelb to when Rand mentioned Gelb to Matt and Ray's concerns that this will likely become an issue sooner or later. Matt asks if they can trust any of them or walks off to find somewhere away from everyone. Matt has spent a lot of time alone since Shadow Logger brooding, Rand thought. Um, and uh, then you've put is he brooding or is it what he's taken having an effect on him? Because uh, we're we're not sure about this thing he's picked up, are we? Yeah, this dagger. Yeah. Uh, well, I d- <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think what I thought back then before I've read so much, but I'm, I, I think even back then I'm, I was already on the bandwagon that you know this dagger is fucking him up. Yeah. Because uh, he was prior to that encounter, he was a bit of a troublemaker, but he wasn't moody. I don't think. No. And distrusting of everyone, he just had a little bit of a you know attitude i guess mm-hmm. whereas now he's all attitude <laughs> and nothing else yeah he's he's not uh he's definitely changed in persona um as you as you pointed out in your notes here particularly since shadow Logoth. so um do you think that 
it will continue to get worse? Yeah, because I think it's it that's the path that seems to be displayed. Be interesting to see where it finishes. Because even with the chapters you've read up to, you still don't know the end result. Um, no, of the no. dagger situation. Um, I'm so I don't know whether it's a prediction or just kind of how. Well, maybe it is. I kind of see it all blowing up at some point. What between the, them, or like something physically, physically yeah. blowing up? Okay, between the two. Of yeah. Them. Okay. Well, between the group, not necessarily just the two of them, because I'm I'm still assuming that they're all going to gather together at some point. Mm-hmm. I do remember um, you saying that. Yeah. He he seems to become more distrusting and more um, oh, what's the word? Uh, paranoid. Right. Every time we have an interaction with him, and it's it's subtle, but I think it's there, and I think at some point that paranoia will take over everything else. Mm-hmm. Fair. Cool. Well, when they're not grumbling or you know uh, being paranoid, <laughs> they are acting as Tom's apprentices, which. Um, it's a fun image, I have to say. Because uh, <laughs> he doesn't like them handling some of his tools of the trade, shall we say. Um, clumsy fingers, but uh, Matt's quite good at the juggling and such. So, you know, that, that's going to be a, a fun image. Uh, and the, the days just kind of pass on doing that sort of thing. Um, we do have a moment where we seem to pass uh, a huge section of flatland and we get the, the mention of this sort of flashing, glimmering something in the distance. And we had Doma Bale telling us it's a tower of metal, which sailors use as a marker. Um, it's about 200 feet tall, no apparent opening. Uh, and Matt sort of perks up at this and it's like, there's got to be treasure inside. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which it installs this whole conversation from Bale Doman about, you know, wonders of the world and treasures being left after the breaking. And, you know, just, Matt's just like, well, now I just want to see everything. Like, what's going on? Um but, uh, you know, Doman's like, no, 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 it's seeing things and doing things is the real treasure in life more than, you know, having a chest full of gold and shit. But, uh, yeah, we don't know if Rand's gonna, uh, Matt's going to buy that. I think Matt's still just treasure, treasure, treasure. <laughs> uh, Rand's like, yeah, that's not really me. I want to go home and, you know, raise some sheep and, uh, you know, shit like that. Um, you know, we're not sure if Matt really wants to do that, but... Um, that shocks Rand a little bit, you've noticed. You've put here that, uh, you know, he man is thinking less and less about home. Um, and how long have they been gone? Yeah, the, um, Rand makes mention of, like, like it, um, I, I can't work out the time. Because I, I remember a conversation with you. I think at this stage they've been gone... So it was, if I remember the timelines correctly, it's a month for them to get to Bailon. Um, it was very quick that they got to Shadowlogoth. So this is probably like 10 days or so um, after Bailon, probably at this stage, uh, because it takes, as you oh, notice, the next paragraph, four days. Um, yeah. Uh, four days I, into journey, we get Rand doing his thing on top of the mast, um, playing Balance Boy, um, and then eventually... We get to in the chat. So they, they've been sailing for a good few days, even at this stage, probably. And it was they're in Shadow Logo for not very long, and they went there very quickly. So 
Yeah, they've probably been gone about six weeks at this stage, something like that. That's actually longer than I thought. Um, I, I think I'm not keeping track of sort of the the distance between places as well. Yeah. Um, the great thing is, there's not a lot no, of sort of there's not a lot of dates thrown into things. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like you know, no one's keeping a journal. It'd be like day six hundred. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, you get a few yeah. markers, like someone mentions, oh, it's been a year since this date. And you're like, okay, so that was a year from that point, And that point was this from that point, And it can be worked out, but there's not like, you know, a clear date system in use um, mm. when all the chapters get talked about, which is, I kind of just let slide. But uh, if you actually try to work out, is uh, not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, to be fair, you probably would stop thinking about it quite as often. Like, here's, uh, I think they've been through their fair share of shit yeah. up to this point that keeping just those two things in your mind all the time is probably not going to happen. No. Uh, so yeah, yeah, he probably shouldn't be that shocked, but then maybe he's expecting, you know, the, the homesick worry to, to be a constant thing. Yeah. As, as Although you... he has, sorry, he's just literally just said, you know, that his, his goal is to go back home and have some sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Rand, it's very much like, I just want to have a quiet life at home with sheep. And Matt is, you know, a bit more adventurous. I think that's evident even from just him when we first meet him, you know, he's a bit more yeah. willing to go out and dive into things and such, or as Rand's a bit more of the stay at home, so sort of homebody type of person, I suppose. Yeah, hundred percent. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a fun moment. You know, it's our first sort of uh, homesickness type moment that we've gotten in the story so far, really, um, because you know now they're on their own. Uh, before you know, other people had the worries. I suppose you could say, like you know, Brandon, you know, didn't have to worry so much about where they were going. More like, you know, oh, well, once it's over, then we can go home type thing. Now he's got to worry about everything, and that makes you realize that you can't think about home quite so much, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah. But anyway, we're four days into the journey, and we get Rand's, you know, hanging out in the last moment. Um, this was an interesting moment, you know, including yeah. the whole dismount. Uh, what did you think of this? You've got a few notes uh, on it. Thing. Uh,. <laughs> Yeah, I, it was just, I, to be honest with you, I think I found it quite bizarre. Right. I, what on earth is he doing? <laughs> yeah, that was my response when I first read it. It's like, what? You're a lunatic. I, I mean, the view's got to be good, but that's dangerous. Yeah, I, I think when I started reading that bit, because it doesn't, it didn't point out that, you know, the height and the, um, the sort of peril that he's in until a little bit further on when it's like, oh, and all the sailors are staring like, holy shit, what's he doing? Mm -hmm. Um, So when I first started reading, I was just like, oh, okay, he's like in the crow's nest, like chilling out or whatever. Uh, and then, no, no, he's just sort of barely hanging on at the top of the mast, like a nut job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just then was like, right, he is insane. He's, he's <laughs> insane. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, because there's not there's no sort of cause given for this. Um, it just the, the scene begins with him, as you say, hanging on like a nut job. Um. <laughs> yeah, and then why does he do the Titanic move? <laughs> Look, maybe that's where um, James Cameron got the idea from for the movie. Okay, maybe yeah. he's a Wheel of Time fan. Read this scene and was like. That doesn't seem to fit in here, but I like the I like this arms out at the beginning on the on the, on a boat thing. I'm going to do that in my movie. So you know, maybe James Cameron is, is that, a fan. Is that something people do? I don't know. Like, I don't think it's something I would do. Like, if listeners, if you are on the at the front of a ship, I forget the name. Um, the bow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, I wanted to say that, but then I was like, no, that's wrong. I think it's um, is it the bow. I don't know. You're at the front of a ship, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really windy. Is your immediate thought is I need to spread my arms out and laugh manically. I mean, maybe not the laugh maniacally thing, um, <laughs> but ever since you know Titanic came out, uh, which is a reasonable length of time now, was it's got to be getting on? Will it come out like ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine? So it's somewhere in the mid, somewhere in the late nineties. Um, you know, so it's not. You know, it's, it's been out like 25 years or something stupid by now, um, or thereabouts. I feel like there's a lot of people our age that, even if it's not your inclination to do that at the front of the boat, if you saw someone doing it, you'd be like, oh, they've seen Titanic. Mm. Yeah. So, but how this got into a book that RJ wrote in 1990, or 1989, because uh, it came out in 1990, um, who knows? <laughs> Let's see. Maybe James Cameron is a fan, um, but it is a bizarre moment, and it doesn't really get explained. So yeah, it doesn't mention why he decided that it was. Uh, I'm a, maybe he just likes the view. Maybe yeah, maybe he climbed up for the view and then just didn't look down. Um, I mean, that's the whole thing. Is it sometimes be like, do you realize how high? You are? Uh, what do you mean? And they look down and it's like, oh my god, um, you know that is a thing in um, I've seen in movies and shows occasionally. So maybe it's that sort of moment. If we come up, if you come up with a better reason for it, let me know. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll just call it James Cameron's inspiration moment and leave it there. Um, <laughs> we get the zip line down, a uh, bit of applause, and this is where Rand discovers Matt has the dagger because he didn't know prior to this. Yes. Um, so, and we get the whole like. The sneaky explanation to be like, it's fine for me to have it because Mordef didn't give it to me. Um, <laughs> so the curse won't work. <laughs> and then Rad stupidly agrees, okay, I won't say anything about it. <laughs> what do you think about all of that? Oh, my God. I just the, the Rand accepting his answer, not twigging that, right? Okay, that's got a bit weird and I just won't say anything it's fine what why why like it it frustrates me is what happens Mm -hmm. I am frustrated reading it he's an idiot and I'm not sure which one is the bigger idiot he is yeah that that, which one's the bigger idiot that is definitely true (laughs) I just I I think, well, no, I don't know. Maybe if these were real physical people and it's your friend, yeah, all right, he's being a bit strange, but 
it's not that obvious at the moment. And then he asks you not to mention anything. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe, maybe that is the reaction you'd have because, you know, as of yet, he's not cuckoo completely. Yeah, that's true. They're, they're on a boat full of strangers. So that's, yeah, that's true as well. Like they're, they're no longer in Edmunds field. They're no longer like within their safety net. Things are different. Things are scary and people can't be trusted. So yeah, this is true. I mean, I, I do, having seen the way you've written it, and of course I, I thought this at the time, but the, the whole point where you've put there, where it's like Matt says it's fine because Mordef didn't give it to him, you know, that says Matt knows deep down that it's still wrong. But they're, yeah. both, they're both overlooking it because Rand's just like, okay, well, but my friend said this, and Matt's like, but I want it, you know, and like, I just, yeah. I'm trying to deny the possibility that I've picked up an evil object here. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of faith. There's the, the bond between these two as friends is obviously clearly very strong because of you know their willingness to overlook things for each other. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's quite a lot. That is it, isn't it? It's it's two friends because even even with the the elements of paranoia and stuff that are showing through, most of them aren't. Um, aimed in any way at Rand. That last sort of comment about, you know, Rand wanting him out of the way for the treasure. Yeah. It's really the first time there's been any thing that's directed towards him. Everything has always been about other people. Uh, yeah, which is, you know, directed at strangers. You know. Yeah. So that obviously, even though he's becoming more paranoid and, and more uh, wary of everything, he is still Rand... He holds Rand in a high regard. So, yeah. Be curious to see where this goes. So, um, We do have a quick conversation about dreams, but uh, Tom does stride over and uh, has kind of smoothed things over with Bao Doman, um, saying it's part of part of the training that he's giving the boys as, uh, you know, his apprentices. Um, but it's <laughs> lucky that he didn't break his neck. And this is the moment where Rand looks up and realizes, as you've put... <laughs> just just how high he'd been and how far he zipped down and it kind of just like, sits down and goes uh, oh fuck yeah. <laughs> and then Tom's like we'll make you a tightrope walker people love that and Tom's got this whole like you, you know you could just tell from that statement Tom is like okay this is my life now I've got two apprentices we'll be a trio of gleemen and like I've, I feel yeah. like that statement Tom has planned out their lives I don't know how that felt yeah. to you yeah, yeah. He's, he's certainly seeing the... Uh, I think it shows that he's seeing the possibilities with them. Mm-hmm. Like he's looking at, oh, good head for heights. Uh, right, well, we could do some really good stuff with this. Indeed. Like, this is a career now. This isn't a cover story. Yes, the, the cover story has become a career choice instead. Tom is the careers counsellor at the jobs fair, um, Rand and Matt have snuck in to avoid, I don't know, community service or something, um, and have been co-opted by the careers counsellor into the circus. <laughs> uh, it's great. 
<laughs> Ran, Ran just really wants to get to along. That's all he's like. Can we, can we just get there and like fix this all this shit? So, <laughs> and that that's kind of where that chapter ends. It's not a massively long chapter, but you know, I, I think he got all the the big fun bit from it. Um, so yeah, we got the knife by the dagger reveal as well, which I think is important. Now. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we we we've got the... someone know that he's got it. Yeah, definitely. Um. Just trying to check the last of your notes here. Uh, so, random mats. I, th- I think some of the biggest things from this chapter you got random mat are both showing signs that something isn't right. Rand, so these subtle changes to his character, like the thrill of potential fighting and Bailon and the laughter. Mm. Oh, okay, so you're putting this, like, you're linking this with Bailon, I'm seeing through notes here, like where he was. Um, is this the white cloak moment? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I, 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 I've completely forgotten about this, but I remember when I read it, I, I saw, hold on. He's he's doing something that's really reckless and completely oblivious to it, mm-hmm. um, and the way he was laughing when he was up there. Okay, yeah. I think that's what reminded me of it was this sort of manical uh, laughter for for no real reason. Gotcha. It just sort of comes out of nowhere, and I was thinking, oh, is this the sign of of you know Belzamon's uh, uh, interactions with him. Okay, so this is a possible side effect from, I suppose, the dreams then? Yeah. Okay. Is, is there something more to this than just, you know, Rand occasionally decides to do something completely absurd? <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong in that description. <laughs> they, are, they are pretty absurd. Both of those moments are pretty absurd. <laughs> okay, cool. So we might potentially have like a pattern here is what we're saying. Cool. Yeah. Um, Matt's got an increasing focus of treasure, um, fanatical. Put remind you a little bit of Gollum. Okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah. Matt is a little Gollum esque. Uh, is that? We'll, yeah, we'll not that. not so much in appearance, but mm. perhaps the the um, narrow sort of focus that's come over him about this dagger and you know the protection of it, mm-hmm. and the moment sort of just sliding it in and out of the sheath as if. Um, this is Matt's precious. Yeah, yeah, it, it felt a little bit like that. Cool, and, and also the next point with Matt, a distrust of everyone. Still very Gollum esque. I'm now just re envisioning Matt as Gollum, and um, <laughs> this is fun. I'm just see, I just see Andy Circus um, playing <laughs> playing Matt in the TV show, and this uh, obviously he's far far too old Andy Circus uh, to play <laughs> play a teenage boy, but <laughs> it's funny nonetheless. I like it. Yeah. Makeup can do wonders nowadays. Uh, yes, makeup and CGI and those little magic dots they put on people, and you can do anything. So um, I love it. I love it. Well, I'm gonna. I might start calling them Gollum instead of Matt now. <laughs> uh, but your last point uh, in these these few, you've got the end here. Really interesting. Has Tom noticed any of these changes? Because you say you know Tom is very hyper observant with these um, with those people nearby and stuff, but he's not said anything about Rand or Matt. Um, I mean, he might be. We haven't had a viewpoint from Tom. Um, yeah. But you know, do, do you think he's noticing these things? Do you think he's oblivious to these things? Um, where do you think he is sitting in this spectrum? I I, I don't want to swing either way. Which, okay. Because you know, I don't like to do that. But uh, <laughs> you hate making a decision. Uh, you know, but like, this is this or that's that. <laughs> yeah, I would hope that he has noticed things, and just because he isn't, he he isn't certain hasn't made any 
comment or done anything about it. But it's also quite possible that, again, as we have said, they've come out of Edmunds Field somewhere that you know they've spent their entire lives so far, mm-hmm. and he just thinks that the the subtle changes in the way they act are due to that, right? Because it's not unreasonable to think that they might act slightly differently, True. as they adjust to a completely way different way of life and the expectations from them. So perhaps he's just like, you know, there's nothing really to worry about at the moment. Yeah, it's very, very possible. We will have to see how time goes. So, all right. Forwards. Yes. Well, let's get another chapter out the way. Let's go back to Egwene and Perrin, because we now have chapter 25, and this is called The Travelling People. So... We are, they're just on their journey now. Um, you know, it's kind of becoming, I suppose, a little casual, um, you know, with their new, quote, friends, <laughs> you know, with Bella and Egwene both trying to appear as though the three walls, uh, you know, just, it, it, this is normal. This is, you know, nothing strange about this, folks. Having three walls follow us is A-OK. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, I'm not sure I would be able to do that. I think I might be a little freaked out, but, you know, Perrin's like, this is fine. And although he doesn't share it with Egwene, he can actually sense where the other pack members are. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting development that uh, he's chosen not to share around there. What do you think about that? Do you think he should have shared it? Um, oh, I don't know that it matters at the moment. Okay. I think I think the important thing from that is the fact that he's hiding things from himself almost as well. That's what I think he's doing. I right. think he's not addressing things. I we, suppose we've you already share... seen... Sorry. I'm just going to say from the previous chapters where with the wolf wolves interactions with him, he is very much in denial, mm-hmm. and um, I think this is just an extension of that less to do with hiding it from Egwene, but perhaps he is protecting her because she's so scared of them yeah. or worried about them. Uh, yeah, I suppose if you don't, you if you aren't sharing it with someone, then it's easier to not acknowledge it yourself. Uh, yeah. Because to share something with someone, you have to acknowledge that fact before you share it. So, yeah. Uh, I did enjoy, you made note of it here as well, I did enjoy that uh, Egwene tries to get Elias to ride Bella. <laughs> <laughs> and he just sort yeah. of stares and goes, yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> and she's like, I'll get back with the horse now. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned it. It's a fun little interaction. I enjoy that bit. Uh, uh, she's proper pecking at him, isn't she? You, <laughs> she is. Come on, it's your turn. Like she forced Perrin to get on it. When yeah. he's like, this is really uncomfortable. Uh, she's like, no, you, you must. You must. It's not fair. You shouldn't walk all that way. And eventually she just like stares down at her. And she's like, Okay, I'll just I'll take your turn. Yeah, <laughs> which kind of shows that although she can boss people around, it's only people that know her that she can boss around, and she knows that you know how to wear them down to do what she wants them to do. Whereas clearly she doesn't yeah. know Elias, so she can't play any of that on him, and thus her bossiness is ineffective. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm glad you noticed that and uh, noted that down because it's it's a funny moment. I always chuckle at that moment too. So <laughs> we are back to some dreams with Perrin. Um, but unlike Rand and Matt, 
his dreams are a bit more normal, with the exception of a wolf protecting him. So, do you think his his dreams are normal because of the wolf protecting him, or that's just a coincidence that he's having nicer dreams currently? Uh, I think they are... Yeah, no, I think they're there's an element that they are trying to protect him. They're, they're taking him under their wing. Okay. Cool. Well, we do eventually bump into some other people. Um, and as titled by the episode, by the episode, by the chapter, we do bump into the traveling people, the Tuafa'an, the Tinkers. Um, that's pretty much all their names. I'm sure they've got other names as well. <clears throat> in fact, I know they do, uh, but I can't tell you those other names yet because you haven't met the cultures from those names that those names come from. Um, <laughs> you will soon. Well, no, you will at some point. <laughs> Maybe not soon, but you will at some point. Um, but yeah, they 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 turn up. Uh, we bump into them, and they've got like big growling dogs um, that uh, Elias is kind of just like points at, and and then the dogs are just like, okay, we do what you say, and uh, you know. They become these giant puppy dog, you know, wouldn't hurt a flea type situation. Uh, and yeah, we get to meet all of the Tinkers. Um, they have a bad rep, you know. Uh, Goyne's like they're thieves, they kidnap children, you know. That's it's pretty nasty rep to have, isn't it? Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, it, Elias doesn't have that opinion. So, you know, it's she's kind of disabused of it, or at least, you know, stop saying it, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it satisfies Elias. Um, but they uh, they ate, <laughs> they sometimes make him sick, but they ate less thieves than many he's met. I, I assume that means, ah, less, less, less feeding than many he's met. So, um, I cannot work out where that bit is. <laughs> It's fun. So it's on like, what are we on? Page 65? Uh, it might not be, it might be a different page number for you. But it's uh, one, two, it's like half a dozen paragraphs down. The paragraph is in starts with Elias raises his finger pointed with whistling with increasing pitch at the dogs. And it's like towards the end of that, the next sort of sentence starts. Parents suggest it's getting dark and why not camp with them if they will allow it? Clearly excited to meet them. Uh, but I assume you meant to say they are less thieves than in, than many he's met. So another another point there, folks. Null's notes are always great because there's usually sentences in there that don't make sense. <laughs> so what did you think of the traveling people, the Tinkers? Um, so ooh, different elements here. So my first reaction to the interactions with them is that they are based on. Uh, like Roman gypsies, traveling gypsies. Mm-hmm. Uh, as to the characters in the story, uh, very carefree, I guess. Right. Like a quite a happy people, but happy within themselves. It's uh, I think they try and keep to themselves as much as possible because other people don't really get them. Yeah. Uh, the the things that Perrin has sort of heard about them or um, are, are purely because they are different and perhaps or initially I thought perhaps made up because if you see something different people tend to not like it so they just you know over time it's become these oh they steal the children yeah um, 
as we get further on, I think actually it's probably because they preach this life of no harm and almost very hippie-esque um, lifestyle. And uh, it would, I think it would definitely appeal to the younger generations. And so kids sort of go off with them. Mm-hmm. of their own choice and then the families are all like oh they stole our kids and it's, it's kind of a yeah it's a bending of what's actually happened right that's it one second I just said the same thing okay um, yeah they are uh, a very colourful bunch of people uh, we've got small wooden houses built on wheels with every color combination you can think of. Um, but, you know, they're just kind of everyday people. You know, parents was expecting a lot more, but, you know, they're just doing all their usual things. There's cooking, there's sewing, tending the children, um, you know. But uh, <laughs> there was this descriptor from the book. So their clothes were even more colorful than their homes, seemingly chosen at random. The colors clashed and contrasted. Like butterflies in a field of wildflowers. Is that from the I, books? I think that might have been. Uh, where is the physical book? Oh, it's in Bible. Of course it is. <laughs> yeah, because when I Google the line, uh, it doesn't come up. It just tells me about wildflowers and plants to plant for bees. Um, so. <laughs> But yeah, twenty five. Oh, I managed to find chapter twenty five with oh, nice. incredible ease. Uh, so it says, and I quote: uh, "Where do I start?" And seemingly chosen at random, sometimes coat and breeches or dress and shawl went together in a way that hurt his eyes. They looked like butterflies in a field of wildflowers. Yeah, it is direct from the book. It's a great page one. 365 of my version of the book. Uh, and it is the last sentence. Perfect. Well, it's, it's a great descriptor. I like it. Um, hmm. but yeah, there's, there's kids everywhere. There's, you know, there's a little bit of music being played. There's a few people dancing. Um, but uh, we have the, um, we meet some of the characters. So we have, I'm going to say this wrong um, to some people's, uh, I don't know, expectation of how the word is pronounced, but Mahdi, um, but you spelt it Mehdi, or Meh, Mehdi as well as some points as well, <laughs> um, M-E-H-D-I, um, Mehdi, yeah, Mahdi, Mehdi, uh, but the Mahdi asks, and we meet the Mahdi and they ask like, can the wolves hang back or like, you know, chill out somewhere else so they scare the dogs? Um, Elias is like, yep, they will, don't worry. Uh, we've they've met each other before clearly uh, Medi or Mardi sorry is the seeker his name is Ran um, and so they're looking for uh, a song that was lost uh, which if found will bring paradise to the age uh, from the age of legends and that is why they travel uh, because they lost it during the breaking and they've been searching ever since which is about 3,000 years uh, but they also don't know how finding they I mean they don't know what the song is but they know they'll recognize it when they hear it and they, but they also don't know how the song will bring paradise. That's quite a, um, quite a task, uh, you know, trying to find a song that no one knows. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
but they are dancey singing uh, people so you know it kind of makes sense that that's what they're after i suppose yeah but are they dancey singing people because they're trying to find the song or are they after the song because they're dancey singing people that is the true mm. question this is a good point I, I could ask you which way you're leaning on that, but I'm not sure if you'll give me an answer. <laughs> I definitely won't. I, <laughs> I, I really struggled with, uh, uh, yeah, I can't speak about this bit because I want to go all anti-religion. And like, I think it's ridiculous, but that's like a lot of religion. <laughs> Searching for something that you don't know exists. And you don't know what it will do when you find it, but I'm sure it'll be paradise seems a bit out there there is uh yeah i can definitely see a religious sort of uh influence on that yeah viewpoint there's a lot of faith involved in trying to find this song isn't there so you know i mean as as a group of people though they're all right aren't they like yeah. they, they seem very happy they fill their days with uh laughter and song and music and indeed the the things that get you through the day so uh, i mean as people they, they seem all right. Yeah, they're very welcoming. You know, they're quite happily taking Elias and, you know, the people traveling with him. Um, you know, the only reason the wolves aren't welcome is because they scare the dogs, which is, you know, that that's fair. Um, you know, but they'll let anybody in. You know, we, Ren, who is clearly leading the Tinkers, says, come meet my wife. Come hang out. You know, we'll give you some, you know, some warmth around our fire. We'll feed you. Um, you know, it's they're extremely welcoming people, open people. Um, you know, so as, as a people, they're wonderful. Um, you know, hunting down a song for your entire life. Not everyone's going to think that's a good idea. <laughs> but as people go, they seem pretty great. I've got to be honest. Um, I, I agree with that. So we do, after we've met uh, Rand's wife, Ella, we do get to meet a slender young man. Uh, yeah, there's meant to be an, an N in between that A and D, by the way. <laughs> I assume, yeah. I was looking at that. I was like, Ren, A space D space Illa. I was like, Ren, Illa, cool. Um, he sits down directly opposite Egwene. And I was like, oh, grandson, how nice of you to join us. Um, but I'm curious why you suddenly joined us. Now we have these two strangers, one of which is a beautiful young lady. Uh, why have you joined us? Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I love you, but fixated on Egwene, he introduces himself as Aram and begins to, quote, court her. And then you put L-A-M-F-A-O. And in parentheses, yes, I've become a 1930s narrator. <laughs> I love it. Um, but Egwene, she doesn't snigger or anything like Perrin's expecting in, you know, this whole Aram situation. Um, and Aram does remind Perrin of Will Alcien, a boy whose good looks allows him to court every girl in Mansfield, uh, while simultaneously convincing each one of them that they were the only one. And uh, <laughs> so you've put, I hate that guy. Do you mean Will Alcien, Aram? Both? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Both. No, Will Alcien. Will Alcien. Yeah, <clears throat> that's fair. So do you think Aram is very much like this guy or that's just Perrin's like, just making that analogy and it's just Perrin or do you think that's an apt description of Aram? Uh, I think that is uh, that is actually an apt description but at the time I didn't know that so I just assumed that that was uh, Perrin 
feeling slightly, uh, I don't know, protective, jealous. Um, yeah. I'm not sure which one. No. Maybe both. Yeah, maybe both could be. This is true. Um, but, you know, Perrin tries to steer the conversation away from the Aram and Egwene flirt show. Um, <laughs> talking about the dogs um, and, you know, the safety of the children and stuff like that. Um, but Aram then gets into a discussion about the way of the leaf. So, uh, and the way of the leaf is the leaf lives its span at the will of the wind. It does not fight against the wind that carries it. When its time comes, it drops to the ground and begins to nourish new life. It causes no harm. Um, <laughs> I love the way you, what you put in. This is so brilliant. So you've put here, this strangely causes Egwene to blush. The strangest sexy talk I've ever encountered, but maybe this is where I'm going wrong. <laughs> this is it, folks. If you are out there and you are a single person trying to pick up, you know, you're trying to trying to get a date, you're trying to enrich your uh, romantic life, folks, you need to describe how a leaf acts in the wind, the way of the leaf, and you will just have the person of your desire blushing. Um you know, because that's that's the key to that's the key to sexy talk, according to Aaron. Well, at least according to Egwene, maybe her reaction. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> it is a fun moment. Uh, Perrin, he's like, no, he's not blushing. He needs more details. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Ray decides, well, I'm going to answer it now because you know he's not going to watch anymore. And he explains that you know they don't, and he does look at Elias a lot when he's saying this. We don't cause anybody else harm. There's no violence ever. So Perrin's like, well, you know, what if you get attacked? You get robbed, anything like that. And like, well, we just run, uh, you know, if we're able to. It's better to give up your life than to cause another to suffer. Um, and like you've put here that realistically, that's not a very sensible plan. And I question the longevity of any group of people who try to live this way. Yeah, obviously in this story, they have lived a very long time. Mm-hmm. But I, I question its validity. Right. Do you think they've I mean, gotten I, lucky? In that? is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is, if someone is threatening you with a big sword, for example, mm-hmm. well, no, if someone's threatening me with a big sword, and I attempt to run, I ain't getting very far. I mean, what if they were just after your stuff and you dumped and ran? Mm, I suppose. I mean, I'm not saying here, like, the way the leaf is the way... I mean, it would be great if people could live by, like, I don't do harm to anybody else ever. That would be a wonderful way for the world to live. Um, but you'd need the whole world to do it first, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I agree. I 100% agree. Do no harm. No harm, no foul is the answer. It is, yes. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, quite quite a change from... You know, we, we, we've met people in Two Rivers. We've met people in Bailon. Um, you know, you, you've seen people, you know, in various situations, we've, uh, with some of the chapters you've read further along, we've, we've got to other villages and other people. Um, you know, this is a very, very different sort of little group or society that we've stumbled across here in the books to anybody else we've met. And I don't think I've often met, um, characters like this in any books I've really kind of read anywhere. Um, you know, you always find ones like, oh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a, yeah, I'm a pacifist, I don't, I don't do this or I don't do that type of thing. You don't get a group solely dedicated to, you know, even if we mm. get attacked, we won't defend ourselves type situation. So, 
It is. Uh, yeah. It's quite interesting, and it's uh, the the tinkers are they're done very well in the show. Um, so I look forward to you watching them in the show because uh, I think uh, it's they're they're better in the show, in my opinion, than they are in the books. Not that they're bad in the books. You know, I think they have a great place in the books and they work really well with the story, um, particularly with one of the characters um, and interactions going forward. But in the show, they're they're better, uh, not just in their portrayal, mm. but like how their philosophy is explained. Um, yeah, and their interactions with with the same character in the show. Um, yeah, it really works. So, but uh, yeah, I, I'm curious to see uh, how you. One second, my Alexa unit is talking to me. Alexa, shut up. Right, there we go. I might have to cut that bit out. <laughs> she just randomly started talking to me. Must have said something that sounded like her name. <clears throat> All right. Eventually, Elias is like, come on, stop trying to convert the kids. No, we're just here for dinner. Um, Illa's like, well, are you just going to teach them your way of, like, you know, kill or die or live alone with ravens and wolves to eventually pick over your dead body and such? Um and we get kind of like a little little bit of a squabble between the two of them, I suppose you might say. Um, and you've questioned here, was Elias once part of the group? Yeah, so there's two interactions. So there's that one, and then there's when uh, Rayan initially responds instead of Arum, mm-hmm. and he promptly looks yeah. directly at um, Elias, like as if... You know, he knows something of him and he's sort of reminding him that that way is, you know, wrong or his way is better. So it it is very much like there's a familiarity um, about the whole thing. So it just made me wonder if was he perhaps a member when he was younger and for some reason rejected the way? Possibly. I mean, I will tell you, you do get um Elias's backstory at some point um so that's a question you will eventually get answered I know sometimes they'll be like we never find that out sorry um this one we do eventually find out so I'll leave that one there but you know we we get a little bit more discussion about the whole you know philosophy in their ways um and saying you know Rand's like I'm not explaining you know to convert I'm just answering the questions um you know, Eliza's like, well, you know, it gets you in trouble with towns and villages. And, you know, Rand's like, well, I don't think the song's going to be found in the town anyway, so it's fine. Um, Perrin tries to apologize, you know, say, well, you know, but I will defend myself if, you know, I, I don't go looking for trouble. But if it finds me, I will defend myself. <laughs> Rain kind of tries to sort of put him down a little bit and says, well, you know, some people can't overcome their base instincts, you know, you know, in a way that makes it clear. He's not referring to bullies. He's clearly referring to Perrin in that moment. And then Perrin's just like, well, you must get lots of chances to run away. Hey, mate, you know, so <laughs> we get a little bit of um, like, yeah, these people have said, hey, come sit at our fire, be warm, here's food. And he's just like, let's have a fight. Um, <laughs> you know, a verbal one, obviously, but hmm. it's uh, yeah. it's an interesting set of interactions. Like, yeah, definitely. Yes. The people are, are not fully comfortable around each other in this whole group. Uh, and, it, and it makes for some interesting points, but it's a very good way of putting the exposition in of what the Tinkers are like. So um, it, it is, I, I found it fun to read. Did you find this interesting to read this chapter or was it just like, yeah, oh, I okay. think I really enjoyed it actually. Okay, cool. I think, yeah. 
it def- as you say, it's a completely different dynamic to the interactions they've had so far. Yeah. And it is nice to see how they handle that, even if one of them is just smitten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of smitten, she decides to run off with Aram and, uh, you know, the, with the suggestion of dancing and a tour, she's whisked away. Um <laughs> Baron's like, yeah, okay, fine, go. Um, and we do have the question asked of what happens if you get someone who cannot follow the way of the leaf. Um, and they are referred to as the lost, and they leave to live in a city, never happy. Uh, and that is how dinner starts. So fun dinner conversation, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, not all dinner conversation could be light and, you know, cheery. So <laughs> this one is full of... A little bit, well, not full of doom and gloom, but, you know, has little doom and gloom elements, I suppose. Uh, we get a nice little interaction at the end of the evening between um, Elias and Ren. <clears throat> so Ren's asking Elias if he's travelled near Tuafon since they met the previous summer, and he hasn't. But then Ren's like, well, here's a story he's been told every time he meets others that may interest him. And Perrin's kind of just sitting there, you know, earwigging. Uh, so, two springs ago, a group crossing the Aeol Waste, were uh, crossing by the northern route, um, and they came came across a bunch of young Aeol, who had clearly headed into the Blight, thinking they'd been killed with the Dark One, or hunting Trollocs, or whatever, um, and the group, they were about 100 miles south of the Blight when they came across these young Aeol. Some of them were young women, a little more than girls, and then we get the explanation that, you know, Aeol women don't stay at home and tend for the males, they're called, do you want to attempt to say what they're called? Uh, all right. Far. Mm-hmm. Darius. Darius. Uh, and my May. May. I, I don't know that last one. I, I don't know. <laughs> You're very close. Uh, the most accepted way of saying this, obviously, you can say it however you want to. Most people say far Darius my. So you were extremely close with the, the most commonly accepted pronunciation of that. Uh, but yeah, Fardaris Mai, they're the maidens of the spear and they fight alongside men. Uh, in this particular group, there was only one who had survived, uh, and that was one of the women. And she crawled towards the wagon, despite her clear hatred for them, because she had a message that was more important. Uh, so obviously the Tinkers went trying to help as many as they could to see if any were alive. And they found three times their number of Trollocs slain. Um... You know, and it's just like, well, I was like, well, this is pretty impossible because Trollocs don't go into the waste. They call it, uh, you know, the dying ground, I believe is what they call it. Uh, but, you know, they'd all, this, they were clearly coming back from the blight. They had, you know, trophies and such. Um, you know, and Trollocs had chased them down and then gone back after the killing. Um, so, you know, this is clearly they're on their way back and the Trollocs had chased them out. Um, the girl didn't want any help. Uh, but she did grab the seeker by the coat and said the following thing. Life, bleater, life blighter means to bind... <sighs> Say that again, Rob. <laughs> life blighter means to bind the eye of the world, lost one. He means to slay the great serpent, warn the people, lost one. Sight burner comes. Tell them to stand ready for he who comes with the dawn. Tell them, and then unfortunately died. Um, and then he explains that... Uh, I think Perrin must have woken up at this point, maybe. Or it's just explained to someone that Life Blighter and Sightburner are the Aeol names for the Dark One. So, 
Uh, Elias can't make sense of this, but Rayan felt sure that when he walked into the camp, that he might finally have some answers. So what do you think about this story of this Aiel group of hunters? So this is our first, uh, short of someone saying like, uh, no, actually, this is, is this our first mention of the Aiel? I think so, yes. Yeah. So this is our first mention of the Aiel. Uh, what do you think of this? You know, what are you picking out from this story of, you know, this this group and what they're like and what they're up to? Um, I don't think a huge amount. What mostly I've got is that they're a, it kind of sounds like they're almost nomad-esque. Okay. Am I right in saying that? Um, and, or that they, at least that they, they go off to hunt together. Right. Um, but yeah, I didn't really pick a huge amount out of that. Not that I can remember anyway. Okay, that's fine. I just didn't know if there's anything in there that you were like, wow, this is like, I really want to dig into it. So but that's fine. Yeah, no, other than like, for me, it was more like what happened, what have they experienced that's made her say all of that? Right. Um, what does she know that she's not telling us? Because I didn't really get much of that except for the dark ones coming. Gotcha. Yeah, fair um, enough. Um, Perhaps there was a key phrase that I'm missing from the end that she was just about to say that cleared it all up. I mean, that's possible. Um, I, I like that we've done these two chapters together in this respect because, um, and I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pull back and just sort of say this. We, we've had two chapters in a row that kind of like build on this sort of thing. So we had Rand's dream at the beginning of chapter um, 24. Uh, where mm. Bowsamon says to him, the light will not help you, boy, and the eye of the world will not serve you. Uh, you are my hound and you will, you will course at my command. I will strangle you with the corpse of the great serpent. And here we are, we're getting a story um, that the Tuafion are sharing, Whoa. saying that, um, you know, life blighter means to bind the eye of the world, lost one. He needs to slay the great serpent, warn the people, lost one, Cyberna comes, tell them to stand ready for he who comes with the dawn, tell them. So I feel like we're getting a couple bits... Um, you know, in a row about um, maybe I'm giving you too much here, but you know, we've just talked about yeah, you, them, so they're I in mean, the same chapter. You've given me like because I really didn't remember that, and now as soon as you said it, I'm like, holy shit, yeah, obviously. Well, that was what I was asking. I was so, just like, surely he's going to notice this. We've just talked about it previously, but you know, <laughs> so Dad, I've done too much there. Dig <laughs> into it a little bit more, then. So this is a story that's shared to mostly to uh elias mm -hmm. with perrin sort of pretending to be asleep but half listening and his eyes are partially open which i think is why then the comment is made to him to explain that that means the dark one yeah because it's obviously he's actually paying attention mm -hmm. um so this that has happened in the past but recently enough for it to be a story that's being passed around yeah, it started with um, two springs ago. So that was... Um, so we, even if it's spring right now, then that's... Or even if it's just... Yeah, even if it's spring right now, that's at most two years ago. But if it's after spring, then it could be spring the previous year, couldn't it? So I can't remember exactly when in terms of seasons this scene takes place. Yeah. Um, but at most it's oh, two so years previous. Yeah, so it is actually long enough for, for things to have changed. It Just the way... That essentially that morning, if that's how the time is sort of being portrayed, Rand's had this dream, sort of basically saying that a 
that he must have bound the eye of the world and that he's already slayed the dragon, uh, the, not the dragon, the snake. Right. Um, because he's going to use it to, to strangle him. But yeah, that's what I was just going to sort of say is like how close are these events? But yeah, yeah, no, these, uh, these are happening at a fairly similar time. Um, Rand's scene and then this scene, uh, maybe not the exact same day, but you know, um, within a few days of each other. Um, if you think about how long they were on the boat for, that was Rand's third or fourth day in the boat. Was it fourth day on the boat when he did the whole master thing that we just talked about? Yes. Um, and they had been traveling for three days before Elias found them. And then it was like the day after, or maybe the day after that, that they found the Tinkers. So this is like five days since Shadowloga for them. And Rand's dream was the day. So like, this is like two days after Rand's dream. Mm, okay working on that sort of logic or thereabouts somewhere in that sort of somewhere in it between probably about a 48 hour period, but anywhere potentially from 24 to 72 hours apart. So, uh, and had we done these chapters separately, I probably would not have raised these to this point, but <laughs> genuinely I was like, we talked about that like half an hour ago. He's bound to bring it up. I better ask. <laughs> and now I feel bad. <laughs> Not that I want to not help you, but at the same time, it's nice to be like, huh, I know what's going on and you don't. Because um, yeah, I'm a it's bastard. weird, but I pick up on some really random small detail. Yeah, yeah oh, I, I'm going to tell you right now, there are things you've, you've talked about that I've managed to not, you know, do anything with. And uh, then I've, you know, like Zoom has come to me afterwards and been like, oh my God, I can't believe he said that. I, like, I know I didn't pick that up until like my second reread, you know. <laughs> So yeah, there's definitely things you you are picking up, and I'm like, wow. And then there are some things where I assume you'll pick them up, and you you do, but you pick them up in a different way, or you don't pick them up, or, you know, or a combination of things. So um, you know, on this occasion, I assumed you would pick it up, said something, and then realized, damn it, you didn't pick it up. But now you've got it, so it's fine. Um, oh man, now now I'm sort of my brain is deep diving into this this paragraph. <laughs> You're rereading it right now. I can tell, aren't you? Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm rereading it because I'm so I'm skipping sort of the oh, it means to bind the eye of the world, mm -hmm. lost one, stay the great serpent, still warn the people. So first of all, my head's going, well, who, which people, which are they? Is she talking about someone specific, or is it just like shit's about to go down? Everyone prepare, like. uh tell them all to stand ready is that was this the premonition of all of the problems that we're seeing now so the season's not fully sort of turning um the vast movement of the trollocs like was that the forewarning or the foreshadowing of this okay yeah and i see what you're saying yeah if, if she passed this message on to warn people was anybody warned or did this story just sort of come from it with no real, like did anybody actually go anywhere and say, Hey, look, she just, this person said this, they were all slaughtered. Uh, seems pretty bad. Like, yeah, maybe there's some truth to what she said. Possibly. Um, this story does definitely imply that uh, the, the Tinker band that come across these, uh, these these poor Aiel that have been slaughtered um, were the only ones that they'd come across. 
Um, because I, I just wrote the, the line, the girl herself dying, crawled towards her to off on wagons. Despite her clear hatred for them, she had a message she felt was more important. That implies you haven't told anything. You haven't told anybody yeah. yet, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if you despise them that much and had already told someone the story, you might not be like, well, I need to drag myself and tell them too. So, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so what I'm getting at there is did the traveling people that had that interaction bother to tell anybody or did they just weave it into a story that they have told other travelers i think they just tell other they they don't really share it with uh outsiders so it's more just a share a story that's been told to other tinkers um you know until they find a suitable person to tell i suppose like elias is here you know he's gone like hey i think i should be you know this story would interest you i think i should share it with you um mm. So, yeah, this is probably a story yeah. that hasn't made its way out into. Uh, yeah, so they've made no societies. actual effort. Yeah, they've made no effort to tell anyone. But if that situation arose where they were face to face, such as now, then, oh, yeah, by the way, this happened a couple of years ago. Yeah. Probably know about this. I mean, Elias hasn't mm. asked for it. Brain's just, you know, volunteered yeah, yeah. the information. So clearly they've decided to wait until there was someone they felt suitable to share it with outside of the Tinkers. So, but yeah because you know as Ryan said you know he felt sure that when they walked in the camp they might finally have answers so and you've also questioned here at the end of it Ryan almost says Elias used to be one of them but I had a quick hand gesture changes it to being a friend of them so yeah so he, it doesn't specify that that is what Ryan almost says yeah I don't think but you feel but, that he was saying that Elias yeah. used to be a ticker yeah I've, I've, I've maybe it's my uh, I'm inserting my own feelings there, but based on what I felt before, I think that's kind of where I saw that headed. Fair enough. Well, we will eventually find out Elias's origin story, um, so to speak. So uh, you will find out if you're right or wrong eventually. Um, <laughs> but Perrin, after listening, does question about his dreams, um, you know, thinking about the eye of the world. Um, and I don't know if you made any connections there. You, I mean, you've written that down. Did you think his dreams are at the eye of the world? They're talking about the eye of the world. Is that why you've made that note there? Or yeah, I think it. it I, I don't. I don't really understand what the eye of the world represents currently. Right. Okay. Um, but I, I thought it mentions it, and I kind of went right. Okay, this is important. Okay. These. Cool. Tying bits together, and I perhaps by the time I got back to it, I would have more understanding. And I don't think I do. <laughs> well, the Eye of the World is um, the title of the book, so hopefully by the end oh, of it, really? we have a a better understanding of what's happening. So, um, oh, okay. Well, you know, Egwene <laughs> um, does return at this point, uh, smitten as you've written here. Um, <laughs> you know, and we get. Uh, a little bit of a tense moment between them you know Perrin's like oh Aram's like well I'll see and you know she's like he's just a nice boy he made me smile blah, blah, you know and Perrin's like oh I'm sorry um, and then we get Egwene weeping you know falling into his arms please tell me the others are still alive um, you know and Perrin's like well of course they are um, and and then she she she's like okay I can sleep now this is fine um, 
it, it's nice that they've made up because it was a bit tense when they first sat down to the fires and stuff and she goes running off with yeah. you know her, her tinker boyfriend for a hot second um <laughs> did you did you like this interaction at the end that they were like yeah okay this is cool or you're just like well, yeah you're all being yeah. silly yeah I, d- I don't see a um I don't think there's necessarily any chemistry between them i think but they they're obviously very close particularly yeah. after what they've gone through and i think perrin appear it, it appeared as if perrin was uh, maybe a bit upset that she had so quickly just gone off to enjoy herself. Yep. Um, and then you see at that moment, there's this kind of interaction where she's like, well, she's hinting at the fact that she's not had any enjoyment since they've left Edmunds Field. It's all been sort of horror. And it was nice to escape from that for even a moment. Absolutely. But then there's also it. And I think that's where he kind of goes, oh, actually, I'm perhaps being a bit of a dick as well. Yeah, that's fair. Um, the, the chapter kind of ends there. Um, you know, Perrin hears the wolves howling in the distance, um, says, oh, I'll deal with them tomorrow. Uh, but they meet him in his dreams instead. And and that's where the chapter ends. So a lot of dreaming. Um, <laughs> we've already touched on going over your last few notes here that uh, the wolves sort of, you know, do the wolves protect him from the dark one, like guards, guard dogs chasing off unwanted visitors. Um with the yeah, it's interesting. That Sorry, go. Just on that, it was interesting that Rand and Matt had the conversation where essentially Matt reluctantly agrees that actually he's still been having the nightmares or dreams, mm-hmm. visions, whatever you want to call them. And Perrin has made no mention. Of it. It's not. There's no mention of it made with Perrin. The only mention that's made about his dreams is that the there's a wolf now present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is um, true. We make th- we made the comment where well, you asked the question about whether I thought the the wolves are protecting him or just being there. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's therefore you can surmise that actually they are sort of guarding him from something. Yeah, it definitely feels like that. So as you, you put in the notes, obviously it looks like they are, you know, protecting him. Uh, with the travelers, you've put there's obviously there's an obvious parody here. A comparison can easily be made with the travelers as we might know them. Uh, they similarly they simmer they also face the same kind of de- demonization and character assassination. And you're curious if that was specifically done. Um, yeah, yeah, they do have. There's a lot of things about the Tinkers that have like Roman gypsy influences. They're not solely based on them. Obviously, there's multiple influences for them um but as you're quite right yeah they do have those sorts of you know the demonization and the character assassination sort of thrown on them and and, and the, those assumptions made of them um but you know we we as we talked about earlier we, we quite like the tinkers so far don't we yeah unusual and interesting i think they shall uh i think it should be interesting to see what happens with them as the story goes indeed on. um aaron very very simple i liked it bit cocksure nice uh <laughs> elias was he once part of the travelers i feel like you're saying yes on this by the way uh he yeah, knows yeah, well yeah, is he one of the lost yeah, ones yeah. except he has removed himself further from humans rather than moving into society like do you, uh, so obviously elias has a thing with wolves we can tell that uh, he's very comfortable yeah. around them um do you think that that if he was a, a tinker 
Do you think his relationship with the wolves is what caused him to be a lost one instead? If we're running down this analogy. Yeah, I think if that's um, sort of... If he had, in this, in a similar way to how Perrin's um, connection has been built, mm-hmm. if he just suddenly slowly started getting these sort of this feeling of connection with the wolves. If that's what happened, um, and if he had, you know, if he's part of the group and then he sort of eventually tells them, hey, look, I'm, you know, I feel this connection. And actually he's not, he's not, uh, what's the way to describe how Perrin feels about it? Sort of repulsed by it? Yeah, he's, he's very uh, uneasy in the situation. Yeah. Um, it is. Uh... If, if he didn't feel like that, then he is essentially telling everyone else that he feels okay about a connection to things that kill. Right. Gotcha. Which would cause, would, would, would cause problems, wouldn't it? And if they no, then it, say yeah. to him, actually, no, you can't go down that path because, you know, they hunt, they kill, uh, sometimes without need or reason. Um, you know, these, you have to reject that part that you're, sort of being connected to then he has to make a choice and perhaps mm-hmm. he chose the wolves over over them very possible well, I look forward to the backstory moment so you can find out how right or wrong you might be so <laughs> very wrong very very wrong completely <laughs> off the chart oh, no are you going to run with the assumption if I just assume I'm always wrong then I'm never disappointed is that what you're going to do you know what? That is a brilliant way of thinking. <laughs> no, that's not allowed. I'm going to say it right now. I'm not going to tell you which ones. But, you know, on some of the things you've said, they've been absolutely spot on. Some things you've said have been absolutely off the spot. And some have been like, oh, you're kind of hot. you got like half a butt cheek on the spot. Like you're kind of there. Um, so, you know, it's uh, don't don't give up hope. You know, I'm not saying which, which, you know, ideas or, you know, where I'm like, no, pick, pick yes or no. Like, you know, I'm not going to say which of those moments are right and which are wrong, but, you know, some of those moments have been right. Some of them have been wrong, but some have been right. So, you know, back yourself a bit because you're not 100% wrong on stuff. You're also not 100% right, but you're definitely not 100% wrong either. As I said earlier, sometimes I, you know, I talk to people afterwards and they listen to like, how did he notice that? So, yeah. Uh, the last two points in the chapter, we've already talked about the Aiel, um, you know, the information, what they do with it, and Egwene, obviously right there at the rear end, we just chatted about. Um, but yeah, and that is the end of chapter 25. So, two more in the Good bag. Deal. We're only now um, seven chapters behind where we are. <laughs> We're getting there, though. Holy crap, I wrote, I wrote a lot of words for the next chapter. Yeah, I looked down. I was just like, yeah, we're definitely going to oh, stop there. <laughs> my God. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> folks, the next recording with Null might be a single chapter because I think he rewrote chapter 26. I'm um, just going to say, I think I wrote half of the chapter and then wrote a new chapter on top of it. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Um, so, I mean, it depends because I don't go through the, I originally I used to go through the notes in quite detail and I was like, this is, this is too much. Also, it takes the, the fun away from the potential of being able to read Null's notes. 
Um, but there's a lot of nulls notes for chapter 26. So it depends on how that episode goes. That might be a single chapter episode. You never know. Um, yeah, book a yeah. holiday. <laughs> it's nice to get a couple chapters in the books, mate. It's It's been, you know, a good few months. Um, hopefully, you know, we can get together again and record soon because if it's another four months, you know, you might finish Eye of the World by the time people, well, no, you'll finish it, but we might record it by the time, you know, the final season of Wheel of Time happens. Um, <laughs> so, but no, it's it's good to have you back on the podcast, mate. So I'm glad, we could find time. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, it's um, people, I was asked literally last week, they were like, where's Noel? We haven't heard from him in quite some time. Is he coming back on? I was like, I think Christmas got away from everybody, to be honest. So, um, you know, he, he'll get back to me soon. They were like, hope so. We miss him. So, yeah, you have some fans out there, mate. So. Oh. Uh, and if you want to go tell Noel, don't spoil him. But you want to tell him how much you enjoy listening to him, you can um, go and hit him up on Twitter. It's uh, null n u l underscore void. Is that correct? It is, isn't it? Uh, At yes. null void. Uh, yeah. Yes, I had to think of it then. <laughs> it's in the show notes, folks, so you can find it there. Um, you can check it out and be like, ah, there we go. No, you said this. I like that. No, you said that. Wow. Um, if you, uh, <laughs> I warn you now, if you go and spoil Null, I will track you down and destroy your Twitter account. Um, not Null's, yours. Um, so <laughs> but yeah, hit him up on Twitter. Uh, or you can hit him up in the Discord server. He does pop in. And uh, there is a, um, a void spoiler-free chat section in the live recordings channel. Uh, I streamlined some of the channels in the Discord server recently um, and kind of merged Null's section into the live recording section because it just made more sense. So if you want to send something to him there, you can pop it in there. Um, and if you can't find it, just hit myself or one of the mods up and we will point you in the right direction. So if you want to check out the stuff that I do, all the links are in the description, the Twitter, the YouTube, the podcast that you're listening to, obviously, um, the website where you can find links to all of my things, uh, you know, including the um, the Patreon, the Discord server, if you want to join either of those, all on the website. The links are also in the, the, the description. But if you don't want to go through a description, you're like, I'm listening on my phone. I don't want to click on a, you know, a description. Malkeertalks.com. Everything is on there, folks, and you can find all of the information. Uh, it's it's nice to get these in a the can. I know I've said that, but it's really nice to uh, to have recorded this again now. So thank you so much. Appreciate time. Pleasure. Good, because uh, if it was <laughs> if it was a pain, I would feel bad about forcing you to carry on. <laughs> and I'd be like, "Give me back but my book." In that still, case, um, <laughs> you would still force me to carry on. No, I wouldn't. If you really hated it, I wouldn't force you to carry on. I might be like, "Give me my book back." My book back. Um, <laughs> I've lost a few of those over the years, lending them out to folks. Uh, but yeah, I, I've got to be honest with you, the dog-eared state that it's in. <laughs> Uh, I might just want a new one anyway. To be fair, it was brand new when I bought it because, you know, as I said, I've lost my copy over here as I've only got my Audible and my digital copy. Um, so I was like, oh, I can't lend you the book because I actually don't have it. So I'll buy one and then lend it to you. Uh, so, yeah. 
maybe maybe I'll just buy a replacement again. Who knows? But anyway, that's enough for it. Thank you for listening, folks. I hope you've enjoyed. Let us know. You can, you know, say you can tweet it. You can hit up on Discord, uh, or you can just email gmail.com and let us know what your thoughts. And until next time, may you always find water and shade. Yeah.